This is Overlapping Insight, Episode 3. We overlap the world events and movements, including financial reports, with the prophecies and timing of the coming of Christ, including how that will be our source of deliverance, prosperity, relief, comfort, and kindness. We overlap those details with you in your life, how you can be prepared so that you can have power, patience, freedom, vision, choice, and you can respond with kindness to others no matter what is going on around you. You can see the episodes with each subject section at overlappinginsight.com. Today, on the world subject, we're talking about Jorge Gold and how he knows how to collapse nations, manipulate markets, buy elections, and provides the voice for the preferred world narrative as the main media. Jorge Gold is our code name for George. O-R-O in Spanish means gold, which is part of his last name, S-O-R-O-S. We have to avoid saying his name frequently or at all so that we are not censored by YouTube, which ought to tell you something about what they want to hide. On the subject of Christ, we're going to be talking about the signs of his coming. This is very exciting and very intriguing to see these uh, timings come together. We'll be talking about five of them. So that will be Daniel's 70-week prophecy, the woman in the sky, and the solar eclipses. And this will give us a stronger idea of where we are in the timing of the last days. So this refers to the days of Jehovah or the days of tribulation. Very interesting. So on the subject of you and your internal and spiritual strengths, we are talking about using performance for spiritual growth. So let me emphasize that the Lord said that there must be a division, but don't be troubled, there is peace in him. In the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That is John 16, 33. So we can follow him and overcome the world along with him, and more specifically, walk in the meekness. <clears throat> Learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit, and you shall have peace in me. So Jorge Gold is a major player in the world events, not in a good way. Stick with me here. This goes deep and wide, but we will make short work of it. Watch it, excuse me. The government raises interest rates twice in one day to 15% in its all-out battle to prop up sterling. But after a frantic day's trading, the pound plunges again. Today has been an extremely difficult and turbulent day. George Soros made a billion dollars almost overnight. This is the infamous Black Wednesday of 1992. Losing 3.5 billions, the Bank of England is in defeat. At the hands of George Soros. I think it is significant that he had some failure experiences along the way in New York. But he was making big money, lost big money. But that would lead to a more aggressive manipulation. Here is his clip on losing $80 million. When Soros' prediction doesn't happen in time, his fund loses $80 million in 1980. This is his first major loss. I think it hurt him deeply. And I also teach him a lesson about the business of running a hedge fund. After losing 22% in 1980, half of his investors cashed out. 
as an expert in boom and bust, he realizes that this may be the end for him, and it's time to retire. After being retired for three years, he was embarrassed to find some failures of the business in the hands of the manager that he had left to take care of his business. He felt that he was the only one who could make it work. While in 1983, Quantum Fund was up 25%, it only achieved a 9% gain the year later. To Soros and his investors, it is a big embarrassment. He now believes perhaps no one can be as good as he is. By the end of 1984, he comes back after three years of retirement. But again, he had even a greater failure. To make profits in currencies, Soros had to borrow a lot of money, sometimes using 10 times leverage. The danger is that if the market goes against him, it can literally destroy him. After making large profits in 1986, Soros believes that his doomsday prediction is temporarily delayed. So he goes on a buying spree of U.S. equities, hoping to catch one last ride before it crashes. But his timing is wrong, again. The Dow could not be saved even by falling long and short-term interest rates and closed with a loss just shy of 300 points at 1950.76. The Black Monday crash caught Soros by surprise. He's trapped in a liquidity squeeze. The predator is now a prey. When Soros was dumping his assets in the market, all the traders sensed that a big whale was in trouble. So everyone just waited. So Soros was able to sell his S&P futures at a price level of 195. But when the market closes, it goes right back to 240. So he was clearly taken advantage by Wall Street traders. The 1987 crash makes Soros once again want to retire. So then about uh, 15 years, let's say later, I started thinking, why should I keep kill myself <laughs> making money? Soros' investment strategy is very nerve-wracking, to say the least. And as people grow older, the risk-taking tendency tends to decrease. I was walking on the street from one bank to another, trying to make the arrangement, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized this tension to make money is really not worth it if it's going to kill me. That's when I decided to actually change course, when I decided to actually return to philanthropy. And by philanthropy, which would otherwise mean the desire to promote the welfare of others, expressed especially by the generous donation of money to good causes. Jorge Gold means buying contacts to countries for the advantage of insider information and to buy elections of key players such as district attorneys and secretaries of state. This is the beginning of the organizations that he created one after another that sounded good but had the opposite intention. I started out with a framework that I really developed as a student when I was influenced by Karl Popper, right. Open Society and Its Enemies, and I set up a foundation uh, to foster the, uh, open societies. 1992. So imagine, remember, 1930s when he was born. So in 1992, he was 62 years old. He's already had a lot of experience. This is where he gets aggressive, mean, unethical, quite evil. So in Quantum Fund, which he owned, 
He borrowed, uh, Quantum Fund, the company, borrowed pounds and sold them for German marks, effectively shorting the pound, aiming to benefit on the difference when converting the marks back into pounds, if or when they fall in value. By the end of the day, now known in the financial world as Black Wednesday, Jorge Gold had sold short 10 billion worth of pounds, putting extreme pressure on its value. The bet was that the British government wouldn't be able to maintain their commitment to value the pound without rising interest rates high enough to trigger a recession. A recession, a social disruption. The British government spent 27 billion pounds in a day to support the pound, but gave up conceding victory to Jorge Gold, who netted over a billion pounds in the process for himself as his personal profit. Such a trade isn't reflective of genius, but manipulation, and it came at a high cost. Britain, having exhausted its foreign currency reserves, increased interest rates from 10% to 12%, and I've heard elsewhere 15%, uh, to try to attract buyers to the pound to help save them from catastrophe. But the pound continued plummeting in value regardless. Britain left the ERM, that's the exchange rate mechanism, later that night. That's how horrible it was for that day. Today has been an extremely difficult and turbulent day. George Soros made a billion dollars almost overnight. This is the infamous Black Wednesday of 1992. Losing 3.5 billions, the Bank of England is in defeat. He bet against the sterling. Quote, I was in effect taking money out of the pockets of British taxpayers, but if I had tried to take social consequences into account, it would have thrown off my risk-reward calculation and my profits wouldn't have, or my profits would have been refused. He didn't care. He didn't care about people, and we need to understand that people like him exist, and he is a big one, and I feel there's others that are right with him. He became involved in influencing the social structure of countries, including the United States. So this is outside of the financial market. It will be the local prosecutor who chooses whether to bring charges against Officer Noor. That power, or discretion, makes the elections to fill those prosecutor positions extremely important. And that's why one billionaire international donor is putting big money into local races all around the country. In March, Aramis Ayala, the first black state attorney elected in Florida, said her office would no longer seek the death penalty. Three months later, Kim Fox, the state attorney for Cook County, Illinois, announced her support for releasing nonviolent defendants without cash bail. Fox and Ayala are the latest in a string of progressive prosecutors who all have one thing in common, backing from the liberal billionaire George Soros. Since 2015, Soros has funded 14 reform-focused candidates in local district attorney races, including primaries, across the country. Ten of them are now in office. And one, Larry Krasner, is standing for general election in the fall in Philadelphia, after winning the Democratic primary in May. Soros's contributions flow through state-level PACs that all share the Safety and Justice moniker. They've ranged from $21,000 in Milwaukee to $1.9 million in Arizona's Maricopa County which Soros spent in a failed effort to defeat the Republican district attorney. All in all, Soros has spent $11.2 million on DA races. So why spend so much money to elect local prosecutors? There's almost no reform you want 
that prosecutors couldn't implement today using their own discretion. If you want bail reform, then prosecutors can simply stop asking for bail. If you want to see shorter sentences, then during plea bargaining, prosecutors just offer lesser sentences. They have so much discretion, there's nothing they couldn't really accomplish if they didn't want to. Prosecutors run for office in 46 states. And historically, the easiest way to win election has been to be tough on crime. The politics of punishment are incredibly strongly stacked in favor of being punitive. This is precisely what Soros wants to change. And by targeting relatively low-profile races, in which he's typically the largest donor, he's making sure he gets the most bang for the buck. Pfaff says that if Soros wants to make the most impact, he should focus on prosecutors in rural areas, like Mississippi's Scott Colum, to whom Soros gave almost a million dollars. The high population counties have been decarcerating and, and becoming more progressive in criminal justice matters for years. Less urban and more rural counties have been becoming actually tougher. It isn't always easy to find progressive challengers outside of cities, but that may change if Soros-supported candidates keep winning. Now, it begs the question, why does he want crime to go unpunished? Why does he want to choose the district attorneys and the secretaries of states? They are the ones that can dictate voting regulations, crime prosecution, and it's obvious he, he, well, I don't know if it's so obvious. It's so deep, it's hard to see what's obvious, and why would anyone want to do that? So he becomes a big donor of the Democratic network. He dumps in $125 million into a super PAC. He helps buy a left-wing media group. And this one runs deep. He has bought and paid for main media to maintain the narrative. This fulfills a scripture in Revelations, by the way, that gives the Antichrist a mouth that speaks blasphemies. And here it is, Revelations 13, 4 through 5. I'll read it here. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Here it is. Listen to this. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That's three and a half years. You see a lot of that three and a half years. We're going to be seeing that here in the section on Christ and the coming of Christ. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. I haven't concluded that Jorge Gold is the Antichrist. I don't think that he is, but he has certainly provided the voice or the mouth so that the beast or the Antichrist can speak the blasphemies. Blasphemy means lies and deceit in such a way that they seem beneficial to everyone and coercive enough that you would want to follow along and be obedient, but be aware. The Jorge Gold media empire has grown from a small paper, as a newspaper, to hundreds of media organizations that receive his funding. According to one estimate, reach an estimate 330 million people around the world every month, a size roughly equal to the population of the United States. 
Presumably, that reach has only grown with time. That estimate is from 2011, and Jorge Gold hasn't slowed down since then. He's determined to let his legacy live on. So here is a list of just some of these media outlets that he owns, or is majority investor or influencer. Viacom CBS, Simon & Schuster, Paramount Pictures, Vice Media, Sacramento Bee, ABC News, NPR, New York Times, Seattle Times, LA Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, Fortune Magazine, ABC, CBS, PBS, PBS, that's Public Broadcasting System, Arizona Daily Star, Houston Chronicle, The New Yorker, Toronto Star, USA Today, Vista, Washington Post, Radio Canada, AOL HuffPost, YouTube, Voice of San Diego, among others. He has a strong influence in Ukraine. So he is meshed in the United Nations. He funds COVID access to lower income countries. Why does he care about vaccinations? Is Jorge Gold a funding source for voting machines and election software? See this article behind me. He is happy to irritate people. Remember that he has envisioned himself as a god and he expects his way to be fulfilled and he doesn't care about others. He accuses others of manipulating and influencing elections by big tech of which he himself is guilty. And I quote, he has previously lambasted Facebook and other internet giants such as Amazon and Google for damaging democracy and manipulating users for commercial gain. Again, appearing to stand for something ethical as it appears he wants to protect the rights of others, but guilty of implementing the opposite. You can see that by the names of his companies that he's running, the organizations to influence voting and rights and all. We have shown some world movements as well as what is going on in the background. Is that what you want to buy into? How do we follow Christ in comparison? We have enough for our needs, an honest living for work, be self-sufficient, be ready to help others. We are held captive to a great extent, more than we know, really, I really think so. So get yourself free of debt, have a food storage, uh, like a food store of your own, right, in your own house. And your internal spiritual strength is important. We hope that this is the peace that we are trying to promote. The peace on this channel, Overlapping Insight, promoting that peace to encourage you to follow Christ, be prepared. There's a lot of dark things in the world. This is important to know what to avoid and what not to buy into. So let's gladly turn our attention to Christ. He is our calm reassurance that we will be taken care of as we lean on Him. That takes some humility and obedience. Where are we at in these last days? Why do we speak of the signs of the times? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He's referring to the saints that follow Christ already, right? And the others that don't, 
are in darkness. And, he can, and when Christ comes, it'll be like a thief in the night and they'll be surprised. So the greatest events, this is a quote here, I think this is an awesome one. The greatest events that have been spoken of by all the holy prophets will come along so naturally as the consequences of certain causes that unless our eyes are enlightened by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Revelation rests upon us, we will fail to see that these are the events predicted by the holy prophets. So true. Scripture here. Be not troubled, for when all these things shall come to pass, ye may know that the promises which have been made unto you shall all be fulfilled. So I have to admit, my, my daughter ex expressed to me how it seemed that those of us who see things going on in the world get all of a sudden excited about all these horrible things that she doesn't realize we're excited about the coming of Christ. So we are considering five angles to the timing of what is referred to as the days of tribulation before there is relief. That's about three and a half years. As I have had to organize the details for you to present it in all its glory, I have learned some things I did not know. And each timing angle is surprisingly close to each other. We will show you each one in turn and then show you a diagram of all five of them together. The timing details may give us some comfort about how long we are going to need to handle persecution or food shortages or impatience that may affect our spiritual endurance. And please know that the Lord needs to be able to test his people so that they can wake up and become stronger or they will also have the chance to show how they react to prove themselves that they do not care. So we need to decide which side we're on. Hopefully we're on the Lord's side with conviction and dedication. So Daniel's 70 week prophecy. As I got closer to this than ever before, I was first disappointed. I thought that this was pointed directly to our day, but I discovered that this is a very precise prophecy of the coming and the sacrifice or the atonement of Jesus Christ. Yet there is still hope that this prophecy, like others, has more than one application for other time periods, like our last days. The other thing I learned was that I had forgotten that the Jews, the Hebrews, were in Babylonia, at least 1,600 miles away from Jerusalem. This is where Daniel was when he discovered, and this is about 500 BC, that uh, Jeremiah had a, a prophecy that the Jews would return 70 years later after they were taken away in 587 BC. So this is about the time that they were supposed to be back. And so Daniel looked that up and was very intrigued, but he also got his own prophecy that he was given as a prophet. So in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, 70 weeks are determined upon the people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, excuse me, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy, even Christ. So this verse explains the seven sevens. This is 70 years from the beginning to the end. Then Daniel gives various sections of those 70 years to follow. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, or in other words, seven sevens. Then the other section is three score in two weeks, which will be in verse 26. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So it was in the year 445 BC. We have that from history when the Hebrews had been back in Jerusalem for some time when 
Artaxerxes declared the city to be rebuilt, including the wall. There are seven weeks or seven sevens, meaning seven time periods, which is what week means in Hebrew, to rebuild the city. Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself? In other words, he's going to be killed, but not that he did anything wrong. So uh, that's how we interpret that one. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's the destroying one, will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So now we have 62 sevens, or 62 times sevens, which is 434 years. There are a total of 483 years now from 445 BC until the year we are looking for him to fulfill this prophecy. So looking at verse 27, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, and this, so this is what? Seven years, right? Seven days, seven years. He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And in other scriptures that means that, it, that the desolation is actually poured upon the wicked themselves, because they're desolate, they're without the gospel, without Christ. So let's figure this out. There are 490 years total, right? 77s. But they are on the lunar calendar, which has 360 days, not the 365 days of the Gregorian calendar. So 483 times 360 equals 170,880. So taking out the skipped year of 1 AD to 1 BC, we have from the Gregorian calendar, starts from March 14th, 445, from the Nisan month reference, it lands on April 6, 32 AD, when Christ is crucified. Some say that it was the day that he entered in as the declared king on a donkey. But it was April 6. That was the day he allowed his disciples to revere him as a king, when before, when they wanted him to be a king, he avoided that situation. But he is the king because he's the one that bought our ransom and saved us with his atonement. So I don't have any information on a specific event that is the seven years after the Lord's crucifixion and resurrection. So I was a little disappointed that this didn't have a direct answer, but, okay, well, let's go ahead and use the same prophecy of Sultan Suleiman, the Magnificent, who declared to build in 1535 AD. If we take the 483 years, seven weeks plus the 62 weeks from 1535 AD, so that's the 69, right? We arrive to 2018. That would, that would be the beginning of the seven years. We'll compare that with the other ones we find. I was surprised to find out that the prophecy and description given by John the Revelator happened on September 23rd, 2017. So this is another one. This is the woman in the sky. This was the month after the solar eclipse of August 21, 2017. This is an awesome and very clear and confirmed fulfillment of prophecy. So Revelations 12, one through five. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. I think one of the things that's happening with the great American eclipse is that there's something following it. On September 23rd of 2017, there is an alignment that is happening in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the constellations, which looks like 
something that John wrote about in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. In the first two verses, he's talking about the sun, the moon, the stars, the wandering stars, which we call planets, and a constellation, which is Virgo. John says that he sees a great sign in heaven, that there is a woman, she is clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet, and she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. But she's also pregnant, but not just pregnant, she's in labor and about to give birth. We know that Virgo would be the woman. The moon will actually be at her feet. Uh, the sun will traverse by back of her shoulder, clothing her in the sun. And in her head will be 12 stars. Nine of those will be the constellation of Leo. It makes up Leo. They're always there. But the three other ones that are not there are the syzygy, the alignment of planets. Mercury will align. We'll have Venus that's there and also Mars, making up the 12 stars. And we can see that the 12 constellations around the ecliptic only has one woman in it that the sun, the moon, and the wandering stars can travel through, and that would be Virgo. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant. Now, how can a sign in heaven be pregnant? There's another planet that has right now been in what we would call the womb of Virgo for several months and it will exit that womb due to what's called retrograde motion, which is going back and forth on September 23rd. What happened in November of 2016, the planet Jupiter moves into the birthing canal in the constellation of this woman, and it stays there for a period of close to 42 weeks, which is a human gestation period. And it doesn't exit until the sign is finished on September 23rd, 2017. When we see this occurrence of Jupiter going into the womb of, of Virgo, that does happen every 11 years. It's not rare. We know the moon's at her feet once a year, so that's not rare. Uh, what we do see is very rare are these three planets lining up in Leo. As they come in again, this makes this occurrence once every 7,000 years. That is extremely rare. I actually took the time, I went back 6,000 years, and I took screenshots of every single time that the woman was clothed in the sun with the moon at her feet. Because again, that happens every year. But do you have her giving birth? And do you have 12 stars at her head? There's never been a day that the exact same thing that happens in 2017 has ever happened. I also went 1,000 years into the future. It's just not there. This is the year that it seems that John saw. Right down the line, every single thing that's going to happen on September 23rd, factually, is mentioned in a book that's 2,000 years old. So if we use this date of September 23rd, 2017 as the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, we have this. Next, as we speak of the seventh seal, as we speak of what we, we are in, you know, expect to happen for every thousand years, there is a prominent description that there will be a half hour of silence before the day of Jehovah, or the years of tribulation begin. Revelations 8.1 And when we had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. If a day to the Lord is a thousand years, then how long is a half hour in our time? Let's take a thousand years divided by 24 hours, that's 41.6666 goes on, years per hour. So half of that, because we're looking for a half an hour, is 
approximately 20.8 years. There is more to this, but if we can go from the opening of the seventh seal, which is about April 6, 2000, due to another scripture that got fulfilled that we don't have time to, to describe here, if we consider the three and a half years of when the tribulation really starts. So we land in 2021. That is consistent with our other time. So we were talking about that seven year period, right? So what we're saying on that, the heavens are silent and things are quiet here for 28.8 years. We're assuming then, and when it starts getting noisy and difficult, that's when the real three and a half years, that other half of the seven years becomes really difficult for us, which we are seeing, are we not? So look at this scripture, Daniel 12:11, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. So in my study in the last few months, I got wondering about not only the daily sacrifice to be taken away, which would be like church attendance, church groups, your sanctuary, temple attendance. I figured that the abomination of desolation relates to taking the temple mount away from the Jews. So these prophecies do focus on the temple of Israel throughout the centuries. I had to wonder then, when the Dome of the Rock took over the Temple Mount? When was it announced? When was it done for and, and the Jews were not allowed to go up there? And I looked it up. It was 688 AD. So this might be a loose one, but consider this as we compare all of our other timelines. And I'm very aware it's numbers of the numbers 1260 days, 1290 days, and 1335 days. If you're aware of Daniel and uh, Revelations, you see those throughout those scriptures. I applied the year tradition to the day reference to those 1260, 1293, and I applied it to 688. So 688 plus 1260 is 1948. That's interesting because that's the year that Israel declared independence. 688 plus 1290 is 1978. Well, the Oslo Agreement for other Arab nations to finally acknowledge that Israel was a nation took place in 1979. I don't know what else happened in 1978. I couldn't find anything much. But 688 plus 1335 is 2023. That is interesting because the 1335 reference is when there will be relief. It will be over. There will be a breakthrough that the temple sanctuary would be returned to the Jews. So 2023, we're going to show that as another timeline. Let's look at Daniel 12, 11 through 12. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth, verse 12, that cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. So look at this timeline here. The last one that I have for you is the direct reference to daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up. So, as subtle as it might have started, we certainly have had some significant changes to our world around us, globally and locally. It was in March of 2020 that we had churches and sanctuaries and temples shut down. Could this not be applied to having the daily sacrifice taken away, even as our activities and busyness among church groups was taken away? We couldn't meet. We were scared of each other. We had to wear masks. 
And this was, this was working for the global elites and the world central planners to control all this. Then in March of 2020, as well, businesses were shut down and many workers were idle and unable to make a living. Could we not say that this is the abomination of desolation was set up? It was set up because over time, it would prove to really bring these people down to their knees and need to be obedient to global powers. There was definitely a coordinated effort to bring economies to their knees and to have a compliance. There was a setup, a beginning of desolation. I think so. This is a horrible abomination. So let's take that month of 2020 to say that the three and a half years is when our days of tribulation started. So see that timeline. Conclusively, of our suggested timing of the days of Jehovah or the years of tribulation, particularly the last three and a half, are amazing lining up so close. So look at this combination. So isn't that interesting? There's little variation among those five, but they catch us right in the midst, right now, where things are heating up and going to get worse. Hopefully this is interesting to you. But the children of light will not be deceived. I hope that you and I and our families and friends can be children of light, meaning that we're watching for these things, we're not buying into the system. You'll see out there that we all have to be in this together, but somehow we have to break away and not follow. So be prepared and don't be deceived. Let's go ahead and turn to our principle number three in Overlapping Insight, this book here. You can get this book for free on overlappinginsight.com. We don't sell anything. We don't monetize this channel in order to avoid priestcraft. You can get this in audiobook or PDF. And uh, this particular principle, using performance for spiritual growth, has been a difficult one for me to understand until recently. I kept hearing that our worth is great without having to do anything. So I could only wonder how performance applies. And of course, there's that argument we're saved by grace, and we truly are saved by grace, but we need to become something. Then I finally understood. We have a great worth, and we should know that, but it is our performance here on earth that determines which level or degree of glory we are going to feel comfortable in with those kind of people that we, that we become ourselves in the eternities. So that makes better sense. I'm aware that even the lowest glory, the celestial kingdom, has greater glory than this world. That is an act of mercy on God's part. Although from that lowest kingdom, we'll still be looking up and knowing that we could have had so much more and had so much better surroundings if we would have been more faithful and believing and willing. So this scripture should then be inspiring to us that we would be sure to be diligent as our days go by. Look at this one here. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life, through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. So that's interesting to consider that we'll have continued progress. Not that we are in competition with each other. On the contrary, part of becoming more like Christ would be reaching out to lift up others. Everyone can win if they would begin to believe that they can follow God in every way and still enjoy their life here. In fact, they ought to enjoy it more in the long run by following the path of righteousness. Here, a wise man, Dieter Uchtdorf, spoke of spectator discipleship in his straightforward and personable way. It is not 
enough merely to speak of Jesus Christ or proclaim that we are his disciples. It is not enough to surround ourselves with symbols of our religion. Discipleship is not a spectator sport. We cannot expect to experience the blessings of faith by standing inactive on the sidelines any more than we can experience the benefits of health by sitting on a sofa watching sporting events on television and giving advice to the athletes. And yet for some, spectator discipleship is a preferred, if not a primary, way of worshiping. Ours is not a secondhand religion. We cannot receive the blessings of the gospel merely by observing the good that others do. We need to get off the sidelines and practice what we preach. But I've got to say that many of us declare that we are going to be obedient for Heavenly Father or that we're just doing his duty to, or doing our duty to him. But is that all of it really? I believe that we are doing it for ourselves. Of course, we would even give up our time and effort to help others for ourselves too. It is to become like God, our eternal Father, and to have a complete joy as He has. Oh, and I've got to tell you before I forget. It hit me the other day. It is natural for someone to want to aggrandize ourselves with riches. But it hit me that this is where it comes from. I mean, think about it. Heavenly Father has the riches of worlds with all their complexities, metals, real estate, beauty, snow-capped mountains, gargantuan rivers, and amazing animals. He owns them all. And so we would naturally feel, even subconsciously, as we are children of God and we feel like we want to be like Him, that we should be collecting these things for ourselves as well. Yet it is the wrong motive to aggrandize ourselves. Heavenly Father uses all of that for others. He is making worlds so that souls can enter there and have a chance with all of the resources to learn to be like him. This scripture, but before you seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after you have obtained a hope in Christ, you shall obtain riches if you seek them. And if you will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to lead the, or feed the hungry and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. So we seek for riches like Heavenly Father has. I, I love what's said here, and I'll quote this here, the doctrine of uniting together in our temple labors and all working for the good of all is from the beginning, from everlasting, and it will be forever and ever. No one supposes for one moment that in heaven, the angels are speculating that they are building railroads and factories, taking advantage one of another, gathering up the substances there that there is in heaven to aggrandize themselves and that they live in the same principle that we are in the habit of doing. No Christian, no sectarian Christian in the world believes this. They believe that the inhabitants of heaven live as a family, that their faith, interests, and pursuits have one end in view, the glory of God and their own salvation, that they may receive more and more. We all believe this. And suppose we go to work and imitate them. Yes, uh, that's an awesome thought, really. And, and it makes perfect sense. And we can live that way, despite our world. Yet I admit that I seek for glory. I seek after great glory. I want it. I think that I can do some good with it. But I refer to the glory after this life. This is a great quote here. You are in the pathway to eternal fame and immortal glory, and inasmuch as you feel interested for the covenant people of the Lord, the God of their fathers shall bless you. 
Do not be discouraged on account of the greatness of the work. Only be humble and faithful, and then you can say, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel shalt thou be brought down. He who scattered Israel has promised to gather them. Therefore, inasmuch as you are to be instrumental in this great work, he will endow you with power, wisdom, might, and intelligence, and every qualification necessary, while our minds will expand wider and wider until you can circumscribe the earth and the heavens, reach forth into eternity, and contemplate the mighty acts of Jehovah in all their variety and glory. Don't you want that? Isn't that just awesome? And this is what the Overlapping Insight, our channel, our effort here is all about to bring you to have peace and relief and kindness and love and vision and glory even here because we can have the glory of the spirit that fills us as we are prepared to hear him. So this life is a practice field. As part of performance, we're going to need a practice field. They say that we are here for a test. Before the instructor can give you a test, shouldn't there be some instruction and practice? Maybe it can be better said that we are here for practice. So here, a prophet talks about this life as a time for our probation. I would consider that a practice period, this is a probation practice period, right? And you can uh, you get practice tests and then you practice more, but you have failed in the practice test and you get to keep trying and working. And then you can retake the test through your various experiences. So we need some experiences so that we can get our practice in. And the more practice that we get, the better. So when I was just learning this uh, overlapping insight principles of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you about a day in my life when I started learning this. Uh, early that morning, I had been up before work. Um, my work started at 8 o'clock so I could get another task done on the remodeling of my house. Very excited to have my own house, my own tools. Then I went to work making the most of my time possible in order to get some things done. I was working on some drywall, mudding, and doing some texture on a wall that if I could get that done in half an hour, then I could get ready for work. So I was excited to be independent, to have my own tools. To, and I did not grow up uh, with much money in, in my life to, to be able to have these options. So this was exciting to me, but then I got off to work. And, and at work, that's a challenge where I was surrounded by one or two guys that didn't want me there. And the programming was not that fun. But then in my other parts of my work, I have people that are, are kind and good and fun and, and we get a lot of good work done. And so after a full day of, of that mixture of work, I was making my way home. And as I was driving, it was probably only 10 miles away from home, someone pulled out in front of me. And I would generally be upset that they would cut me off and make me slow down. But then I was remembering what I was learning, that when you have these enticements, that you raise your heart to Heavenly Father. And so I did. And I, I thanked him for being alive and having a car and, and all these resources and going to a house that I had finally after being married for 10 years and what I have now, four children at the time. So as I was going along, and like I said, it was only a 10 mile drive and someone else pulled in front of me. And again, 
I had to slow down. But again, I, I remember the enticement to pray to Heavenly Father, thanking Him for the day. And the third time someone pulled in front of me with such abruptness and obviousness that I really had to slam the brakes on. But this time I felt even more of the Spirit thinking, who knows what could have happened to them? They could have lost their job that day. They could be distracted. They could have had someone die in the family, very distracted. And also I knew that, you know, I could have made that accident, or not that accident, I could have accidentally done that to someone else myself. So I ended up praying for them. How was that for a change? I was, I was ready to be translated by the time I got home, the way my day was going, right? And so I, I arrive home feeling good. And I walk into the, from the garage and I put my computer bag down and I see the dishes are, the sink is full. And it has been the case, for, I, I would do the dishes 10 to one from anyone else in the family, no one else likes to do it. But uh, I used to clean windows for a living, so cleaning things was natural. So I went about doing the dishes. And as I was going, I was thinking how, you know, I, I pay for the gas in cars, I pay for insurance, I pay for the house, I pay for all the utilities, I pay for uh, insurance on the house, on the cars, I pay, I pay for the food which is being eaten on these plates of what I'm cleaning. So why am I doing all this work? And so suddenly my focus and my anger started coming up from that focus, from the negative focus, right? That those kids that I'm hearing playing down the hallway and I could hear the mother down there too. But I started to get angry. After such an awesome day, I was angry. And I had a bowl in one hand and a rag in the other that I was just ready to dry and put away. And with that dripping bowl across the wood floor, I turned and I was going towards the door and I was going to tell them to get out there and help me do the dishes. And I knew what was going to happen. I would be angry, my voice would raise, I would lose the spirit, and I would probably be even more angry because now I don't have the spirit with me, and I'd be angry at them. But I didn't take two steps when I stopped and I remembered what I'd learned about becoming spiritually centered in Christ. And I felt like, no. And the thought that was prevalent with me is, that if all of this is all I have to do and I get to get to heaven and I get that reward of being with Christ and his love and his acceptance and being with family forever, why is this not worth it? This is, this is exactly, if I can just make it, it would be worth it. And so I left it. I took my bowl, went back to the sink. I had the spirit with me. And something strange happened. I looked outside and the sky was bluer. The leaves on the tree were greener. The flowers were more colorful. And the day was awesome. So without saying a word, finished all the dishes, made it a great place for the mother, my wife, to come into the kitchen and make dinner, which was soon to come. Didn't say a word. After dinner ended, we had our weekly gathering as our little family. And the most strange thing happened. My wife, who had not been very known for being organized, had pulled out a chart that she had prepared. And she even pointed out to all the kids around her, us, and said, 
Now, Dad shouldn't have to do dishes, should he? We should assign you. And I had to stop and look around and think, is this a joke? Did I tell somebody about my experience an hour or two earlier? And I was like, no, I did not. And so what a miracle that was and a testimony that once we pass through our burdens and we, we perform well and we do well uh, in following Christ, that he takes away our challenge. We have learned. That is awesome. Since the gospel is a gospel of action, in each principle, each chapter of overlapping insight is a mission. So, in this case, principle number three, your mission, if you choose to accept it. Your challenge here is to do something and do it now. Change your situation. Follow Christ. Do it with the rest of these principles, such as come unto God and live, how to be thankful in all your adversities, and I am in charge of what I think, feel, and do. Maybe you are aware of those principles already if you are reading this through for the fourth time. This is a lifelong work, and it would do well for you to read again and again in order to make it an integral part of yourself. Using the shield of faith, praying frequently, and then deciding to take action is what we have covered so far. It has been a pleasure talking about Christ and his coming and how we can be ready. In episode four next, on the subject of the world, we'll talk about the central bank digital currency, the bank bail-ins that are legal, negative interest, and destroying the U.S. dollar. On the subject of Christ, uh, we'll talk about the Bible, how that is the Holy Land writings in that area of the world. But what about the other sheep that Christ referred to and the writings he has to his prophets write about how he dealt with those people? There are some awesome discoveries that I get to share with you. On the subject of you, we'll be talking about seeing all things spiritually. So let me be clear that we spoke of Jorge Gold to show what kind of world we live in and what kind of control and manipulation. So I'm hoping th that that's actually helping you get to the, a little bit to the, where this pendulum swings on the other side. So then we and be scared and maybe really recognizing it. So we can let the, the pendulum swing to be on the Christ side where we understand his deliverance and his goodness where he would want to lift us up. That is why we do that. But in order to be on his side, we talk about the you, the internal and spiritual strengths, so that you can be with Christ. I can be with Christ. And I'm doing this for us. So this effort, of course, the prophets and the scriptures, if I'm helping you to get closer to the prophets and the scriptures, that is my effort. And that's all the reward that I want. So until episode four, I look forward to it.